This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture comes from several passages specifically about parenting. First, from Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And from Colossians 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And from Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, I realize this is a little different for us. Normally, our sermon series are either through books of the Bible or on books of the Bible. Uh, but in uh, this instance, for three weeks, we're going to spend some time uh, looking at this topic uh, in the Bible. And the reason for that, I think, is pretty obvious. There, there are so many parents at New City, uh, including myself, parents who could benefit from an intentional look uh, on the topic of parenting and what the scriptures have, uh, have to say about it. Um, if you think about it, um, as I did when I realized to do this series, uh, 24-7, uh, many of us 24-7 are stewarding uh, one of the most valuable gifts that God can give. Uh, we're watching over and preparing for the future, this incredible gift from God. And then I realized that it has been three years since I preached a sermon specifically on parenting. And so I decided it was, it, was, it was a good time to go back and intentionally think about this topic. Now, I realize that there's a risk uh, in doing a mini-series on parenting. And the risk is this, that we may lose the interest of those who are not parents, or we may lose the interest of those who, whose children are older, uh, maybe young adults or even adults now. But what I want to do is I want to ask you for your interest, and I want to ask you even for your excitement. And I want to do that for four reasons. Uh, first, if you're not currently parenting or if you're not in the earlier stages of parenting, recognize that many in this community are doing exactly that and they need something. And it's just good for us in community to let other people be focused on for a time. That, that's healthy. Uh, second, uh, not only are other members in this community in need of this teaching, but, but you need this teaching now too. As I said before, if you're a member of this church, in the fourth vow of our infant baptism vows, uh, you have said that you will undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture or Christian development of the child being baptized. In other words, if you're a member or, or a regular attender of this community, you've promised dozens of times to assist parents in the parenting of their children. A huge gift that you can give to these parents is to understand biblical parenting and to help them in the momentum of biblical parenting when you're around their kids. Third, I would say this. One day you might be a parent. One day you might be a parent. Uh, I've said numerous times how foolish it was for me to not read every parenting book I possibly could prior to having kids. Because as soon as you have your first kid, you barely have time to read one article, let alone every book on the topic. I lament, I literally lament as a father of a middle schooler, I lament that I didn't read every book on parenting teenagers when Maddie was first born. 
The Proverbs say that in part, wisdom is defined as preparedness. Wisdom is defined as preparedness. Now is actually the perfect time to think about parenting. Uh, Fourth and most importantly, this series uh, is ultimately about how God parents us, his kids. And so what you're going to see over and over is that the paradigm for our parenting is the paradigm of how God has parented us. And so most of the conversation will be about humans parenting their human children. But all of this flows out of how God parents us whether we realize it or not. So I I have three points, three points. I want to give you a framework for biblical parenting. I want to give you the foundation of biblical parenting, and I want to give you the fuel for biblical parenting. Okay, framework, we're going to talk about an introduction to the whole series. Uh, Foundation, we're going to look at one aspect of the framework, and then fuel, we're we're going to consider at the end how can we possibly do this, okay? Let me pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I confess to you that this is an area where I will speak as though I know more than I actually do, and I will present your word, and I have to readily confess that I am not able to do this, that I, in some ways, in large part, I have not done this. And God, I pray that you would have mercy upon me, but that you would still use me uh, to speak the truth of your word, that we might all benefit from your grace and your truth and your power. We praise you, Jesus, that we can even look at a topic like this and not be condemned because you are condemned for us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so first, a framework for biblical parenting. I'm hesitating to say the framework for biblical parenting, but when I look at my studies of the Bible, when I think about my childhood and my parents parenting the three children they had, when I think about my experience as a dad of five kids, I know that this framework for parenting is biblical, but I'm not yet ready to say that it's the biblical framework for parenting, okay? So so we have a visual of this framework, and we're going to go through it in this series. I want to go ahead and throw it up on uh, the screen. Uh, The framework is delight, disciple, discipline. To delight, Proverbs 3.12, 1 Thessalonians 2, is to enjoy and to be pleased with and to love and to accept and to value. We're going to see that delight is a disposition in the heart that is expressed in practical and tangible ways. To disciple is to proactively train, Proverbs 22.6, Matthew 28.18. To disciple is to train your child in godly living. It is not to train them in doctrine. It is not to train them in behavior. It is not to train them in the American way. It is to train them in radical, godly living. Uh, To to discipline, Proverbs 3.11, is a more reactive reality to parenting. It's reactive compared to the proactivity of discipleship. To discipline, Hebrews 12, is to allow into your child's life discomfort and pain or to introduce into your child's life discomfort and pain when they rebel against our training and our discipleship of them. And so this is our framework. Biblical parenting must include all three. If you have two of the three, you will not be biblically parenting your children. Delight, disciple, discipline. But I want to expand upon this framework. I want to make three observations about it. And the first is to have this visual in front of you of a pyramid. It is not right to simply say parenting is one part delight, one part discipleship, one part discipline. You have to actually say delight is the foundation to discipleship. You have to actually say discipleship is the foundation uh, to discipline. 
Discipleship is supported by delight. Anytime you're discipling biblically, you're standing upon the foundation of delight. Discipline is supported by discipleship. Anytime you're biblically disciplining a child, you're standing upon the foundation of discipleship. Biblically, by definition, you cannot disciple a child you don't delight in. Biblically, by definition, you cannot discipline a child that you haven't discipled. The the structural reality is all over the Bible. It is seen over and over and over again. I'll only show you Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 as an example. We're talking about the structural reality of this pyramid. If you look in your worship folder at Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, the Hebrew word for discipline in verse 11 is a word that included the proactivity of our English word discipleship, and it included the reactivity of our English word discipline. And so if you look at the end of verse 12, what is the foundation to to discipleship? What is the foundation for discipline? It's delight. The Lord disciples, disciplines, reproves the one he loves as or like a father, the son in whom he delights. Listen to Proverbs 13, 24, not in your worship folder, but it says the same thing. It says, whoever spares the rod, whoever doesn't discipline their child hates their son. But listen to this. He who loves his son is diligent to disciple and discipline. And so which comes first of the three? Delight. If you think about this, this just makes sense. Delight, discipleship, and discipline, they have to happen in that order. Just think. In your mind's eye, uh, change the words around in the pyramid. If your delight were built upon discipleship, so if your discipleship were at the bottom and your delight were at the top, the child has to obey and perform before they, they know that you love them and before you love them. If we put delight on top of discipleship and discipline, we will raise arrogant and anxious performers whenever they're succeeding, and and we will raise angry, rebellious children whenever they're failing. Experience tells us that this is true. The child who's accepted and delighted in and enjoyed and affirmed, that child is always more receptive to instruction. That child is always ready to learn, ready to be trained, ready to be discipled by the parents. The child not delighted in, not enjoyed, not accepted with unconditional love always pushes back on learning. Uh, Further, if if you take discipline and you put it before discipleship, so if you reverse those two steps in the pyramid and you put discipline at the bottom and discipleship at the top, listen to this. If you correct the child before they understand the goal, you'll create a scared, frenzied, psychologically wounded child every time. When parents lead with discipline instead of delight, when parents lead with discipline instead of discipleship, tragically, the result is this drone-like child. It is a broken child that has no personality and it has no depth and it basically lives in black and white, not color. We're going to talk about discipline in several weeks, but discipline is only for willful, chosen rebellion. It is never for a lack of understanding. It is never for a lack of capacity. Have you ever seen a dog being introduced to an invisible fence in a yard? An invisible fence is this live electric wire buried around the perimeter of a property, and the collar is put on the dog, and it shocks the dog when they cross the wire, when they they cross the boundary. 
And I have no idea if it's right or wrong, and I don't even know if they do it this way anymore, but, but our dog, when I was a teenager, was trained about the invisible fence by the guy grabbing him by the collar, pulling him across the line, and shocking him over and over and over. Kids aren't dogs. If you discipline in order to disciple, if you allow or introduce discomfort as a way to teach them a rule, they will live scared and frenzied and psychologically broken lives for the rest of their life. They will be muted in their existence. They will walk around wondering when they're going to get shocked again. Not only do I want you to see that this visual is a pyramid, but I also want you to see that it's a timeline. So I've got another picture of this. If you just kind of turn it in your mind's eye, you can see it like this. If you start on the left-hand side, you can think of the visual as a lifetime, as a timeline. And we're going to talk about this a lot in the future weeks. But for now, I just want you to see that there are six phases to biblical parenting. First, at conception or adoption, we begin to delight and accept and love unconditionally. I mean, think about the parents today on the stage holding these children. Not a whole lot of discipleship can be done. Not a whole, if any, not, not a whole lot, if any discipline can be done at the earliest years. The beginning is a time for delight and provision and care and love. Second, as you walk up the pyramid, at, at some point, usually during the toddler years, you'll begin to disciple and train your child. Third, at some point uh, in their life, when it's obvious that they're listening to you, understanding you, and choosing the opposite of what you say. Third, and they will do that. Third is discipline. And then for many, many years, parents live in this reality of, de of delight, uh, disciple, discipline. All three are activated. All three are being uh, lived out. All three are in play. But at some point, the parent realizes, Hebrews chapter 12, I gotta stop disciplining this child. It's not working. And you begin to walk down the pyramid. By that, I mean this. We no longer introduce pain into our children's lives to teach them things. Fifth, at some point in the parent's uh, mind and understanding and life, they stop being the primary discipler in their kids' lives. And by that, I don't mean that they don't influence them and love them and aren't available to them, but they don't hold the responsibility for spiritual development like they used to. And then sixth, we never stop delighting. We never stop enjoying. We never stop praying for. We never stop blessing. We never stop being appropriately available when needed. It finally hit me a few years ago. Trisha's parents and my parents love our children because they delight in us. I thought they were just grandparents in love with grandkids. And then it hit me. They don't do this for any other kid. They're doing this because they delight in us. And so what I want us to see in this, again, we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks. This is an introduction to the miniseries. I want us to see that, that our, our framework is a pyramid. I want us to see that it's a timeline. But lastly, I want us to see this is a reality that needs to be repeated over and over and over. This is actually how I try to visualize each and every day of my kids' lives. I try and visualize this framework. When they come down the stairs in the morning, I try to, to, delight, to delight in them in tangible ways. I hug them and I kiss them and I compliment them and I hold them and I try and listen to them. Then as delight continues throughout the day, you never leave the foundation of delight. 
As the light continues through the day, I next try to invest some discipleship in them. I may engage them with something from City Bible Reading, my private worship with God. I may talk to them about their day, and we may talk about something coming up in their day, and we'll begin to dream about what does it look like to live a a godly, gospel-centered life in that context, and we'll begin to plan out their day. That's discipleship. And And then sometimes this delight and this discipleship has to move into discipline, but only if it's needed. I'm very thankful that every day my kids need delight and they need discipleship, but they don't every day need discipline. But if they need it, I've hopefully laid a foundation for it to be healthy and productive. I have found five kids later, many mistakes later, the more I delight and the more I disciple, the less discipline they're going to need. Delight, disciple, discipline. And then at night, in my mind's eye, I try and walk myself back down the pyramid At bedtime, I try and go and be around them. I try and talk to them about their day. I try and review what we discussed in the morning, whether it be CBR or getting ready for their day and living in a godly way and in a gospel-centered way. And then the last thing I try and do for them before they go to sleep is I try and delight in them. Again, I try and be silly with them. I try to laugh with them. I I, I love to pray with them. I love to pray to God, thanking God for them while they're listening to me. Besides my salvation and my wife, the greatest gifts that God has given to me are my kids. I delight in them when they hear me emotionally thanking God for that reality. It it, it buoys them. It, It builds confidence into them. It pulls out of them the dignity that God gave them when he made them in his image. And so what I want to do to wrap up this point, which is by by far the longest point of the day, I I want to watch a video. And I know this is rare. I don't don't think I've ever shown a video uh, in one of my sermons. But I want to watch a video that deeply, deeply impacted my parenting. And I got to warn you, it starts out a little hokey. Um, For some, if you're an Alabama fan, it will not be hokey for you. You'll think this is amazing. But it starts out a little hokey. But I want you to stay with it. And I want you to listen for this framework. Uh, The main character in this video is not going to use the words I just used, but he's going to clearly teach the exact same thing. So let's watch this together. In the South, college football is a sacred tradition. John Croyle experienced that tradition firsthand as an all-American defensive end at the University of Alabama, a key performer on legendary coach Bear Bryant's 1973 national championship team. In high school, I made all-American in football and basketball. And um, Coach Bryant and other coaches would come to the house and we'd visit and talk and everything. But uh, I had no idea where I wanted to go. But I remember meeting him when I was 15. And uh, he just had this gift of finding already motivated people and steering them the way he wanted them to go. John had the talent and opportunity to play professionally. But an off-the-field experience permanently changed the course of his life. I was 19 years old and, and I was playing at Alabama and it was the summer. And I was working at this camp in Mississippi. And uh, I was just a just an old counselor in one of the cabins. And I met a little boy from the streets of Orleans whose mother was a prostitute. And he was the banker and the timekeeper for his mom. He would literally knock on the door and say, Mama, I got the money. Here's a receipt. And the man would go and be with his mom. And I told that little boy how he become a Christian. He came back the following year and told me word for word what I'd shown him summer before. I realized I'd been given a gift. Not sure what to do next. John visited with his coach to discuss the future. I wanted to go play with the best in the world. And um, 
I went to see Coach Bryant, and I said, Coach Bryant, I want to get the money from pro football, and I want to start this home for kids. I had been telling him about this ranch from the time I was 19 years old. And he just looked at me, and typical of him, he said, don't play pro ball unless you're willing to marry it. Go build that ranch you've been talking about. That's it. I walked out and never looked back. So John exchanged one dream for a new one, the Big Oak Ranch. Since 1974, John and his wife, T, have cultivated a loving, nurturing environment for children needing a chance. We have eight, uh, eight houses that are, have kids in them, living in them right now. And um, there's a you know, couple in each house. Um, we call them house parents, mom and pop. Here's our high school boys in junior high and high school. We brag on them on Friday nights, and we got uh, JV games on Tuesday nights, and I better be there. And they'll, they'll literally come get water, and they'll take the thing, and they'll squirt water. And I see them look in the stands, and they'll give me a little heads up because they know I'm there. i got to be. And that's, that's what dads do. Your parents or your family can't provide uh, the things you need. The ranch is there for you, and they'll teach you how to become a man, and they will take care of you on up into adulthood. Every child that's ever lived here with us, including the five-year-old uh, last week to the very first one, they've all heard the same poor promises. I love you. I will never lie to you. I'll stick with you till you're grown. If there's boundaries, don't cross them. As parents, as fathers, if we give our children emotional support, truth, security, and discipline, you'll raise a thoroughbred every time. Big Oak Ranch sits on 143 breathtaking acres, a haven for animals, games, and fishing. A child's utopia. Only most of these kids traveled through hell to get here. Had one boy dipped in hot grease and waist down and burned. Uh, I have seen the depravity of what adults can do to children. If you're just a kid and someone says, we built this for you, um, you can never achieve anything until you believe in yourself. So we have to start at the ground level. You're not a piece of garbage. You're not somebody's leftover human that they got tired of. You are a creature that God created and he has a future and hope and a plan for you. Over the years, more than 1,900 children, ages 5 to 18, many abused, neglected, or abandoned, have been dropped at the doorstep of Big Oak Ranch. Each year, more than 100 kids live at the ranch, with dozens more graduating high school and leaving for college. He's a junior at UAB. Uh, that boy went in the Navy this past year. We have learned a truth. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Sometimes what we do is we focus on the rebellion, we focus on the rules instead of focusing on the relationship. So what we've done for many, many, many years is every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, I have breakfast with all the high school boys, and we talk about authentic manhood. And then at 7.30, all the high school girls come in. We talk to them about choosing wisely and who they date and eventually who they marry and who's going to be the father of their children. Dear God, thank you for these beautiful young ladies. And thank you for their future lion, the man that's going to be their husband and the father of their children. Protect him, keep him safe. Make him into a great man as we try to make them into great men. Been able to say a whole lot of things, and there's been a lot of fruit. There's been a lot of mistakes. I've made about every mistake you can make as a man, husband, and father. But there's got to be that time. There's got to be that time where you draw a line in the sand of your life. And you say, that's it. I've got to grow up. I've got to lay aside childish things and move on and become the man I'm supposed to be.
Do you hear what he said? Every child hears the same four promises. I love you. I'll never lie to you. I'll stick with you till you're grown. There are boundaries. Don't cross them. As parents, as fathers, if we give our children emotional support, truth, security, and discipline, evidently in Alabama this is good, you'll raise a thoroughbred every time. We've learned the truth. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Sometimes what we do is we focus on the rebellion or we focus on the rules instead of focusing on the relationship. My number one goal in this series is not for us to understand this framework or this visual. My number one goal is not for us to engage in debate about the particulars and the styles and the decisions of parenting. My number one goal is for us as an entire community to better understand how God can use us to raise thoroughbreds, to grow oaks of righteousness, to raise up and send into the future these ambassadors that are going to live for Jesus and his kingdom. You have to trust me. You do not want to hear the portion of the video that we cut out, uh, the audio for it. It is horrific. But the video tells the story of 1,900 kids coming from very hard situations. And they experience healing, redemption, and transformation because John and his wife and his team decided to parent them. They delighted in them. They discipled them. They disciplined them. So that's a framework. That's our framework that we're going to work with in this mini-series on parenting. And then secondly for this morning, much, uh, much more quickly, I want to talk about the foundation for biblical parenting. The foundation for parent, biblical parenting is obviously delight, okay? Obviously delight. So first, I want to define delight. I got three subpoints under this. It's going to go pretty quick. I want to define delight. As I said already, delight is this disposition of the heart that is, is expressed in practical and tangible ways. The Hebrew word in, in Proverbs 3.12 means to be pleased with, to accept favorably, to enjoy, to value. If you look in verse 12, delight is used in parallel ways with love. It's different from love, but it's an awful lot like love. A delighted in child is a beloved child, a child in whom the parent is well pleased. But this pleasure in the child has nothing to do with the child's performance. It has everything to do with the child's identity as a family member. Second, I want to describe delight. So delight is this disposition of the heart expressed in practical and tangible ways. If you look at Proverbs 3, it says, As the father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, the son has experienced this delight. And as I said before, I think a lot of us are at this place where we truly love our kids, but we have no real idea how to practically express that love, especially when we get into discipleship and get into discipline. And so I thought of a few descriptions, not an exhaustive list by any means, but a few descriptions of what delight looks and feels like to a kid. First, delight is providing physically for our children. Jesus in Luke 11 and Jesus in Matthew 7 says that even those who are evil, so unbelievers, know how to give good gifts to their children. And he's talking about food. He says eggs and bread and fish. And then Paul picks up on this and he writes in 1 Timothy 5 that, that the man who doesn't provide for his household, his household excuse me, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Delight is not to say, look at how much I have to spend on you. You're so expensive. 
Delight is to say, look at how much I get to spend on you. You're an incredible investment. Kids are really expensive. They know it. They're going to feel like a burden unless we tell them they're a delight. Men go to work. Sometimes moms go to work. And we do it because we get to provide for our kids. It's an honor. Second, again, not an exhaustive list, but a describing delight list. Delight is time together. Delight is time together. Uh, Remember what John Croyle said in the video. He's talking about the football game and he says, they know I'm there. I gotta be. That's what dads do. Right now, I'm really trying to work on delight. Most of us don't do all three of these naturally. I don't do delight naturally. I'm trying to learn how to tangibly and practically express my delight in my children. And so I've created a proverb for myself. It's a proverb of sorts. It's not in the Bible. Maybe it should be. Um, but it's a little proverb I, I, try, to, I, I try to live out in, in my day. It's, it's this. Never know for no good reason. Never know for no good reason. To my shame, I realized a while ago that my default answer with my kids had become no, and then I would think about it. Even if I had no good reason for that no, I would say it in a defensive posture and then think about it. And so in my framework, my pyramid, the one that's in my journal, I have written in the delight box, yes, with quotes around it. Will you carry me up the stairs? Yes. Will you play Wii with me? Yes. Will you play Barbies on Wii with me? Yes. Will you play dress up with me? Yes. Will you be the mom again? Yes. Will you come outside in the really hot sun with all the bugs and sit for my show in the backyard? Yes. Some of you are like, duh, Ted. I guess I'm just dumb. (laughs) Never know for no good reason. Again, we're going to get into discipline. We're going to get into discipleship. There are reasons to say no. But I want my no's to be built on a thousand yeses. So, so, so delight is enthusiastically working hard to provide. Delight is time together. And then third and finally for this morning, delight is laughter. This Hebrew word in Proverbs 3.12 includes the connotation of laughter and joy. Moms and dads, do our kids experience us as silly? Do we have fun around them? They love to be around us because they know we're going to laugh. I have a friend in another state. He's the lead pastor of a church. It's very similar to New City. And over the past few months, we've been discussing this desire to more effectively express our delight in our kids. And we're both realizing that we're just too serious about life. We're both realizing we need to laugh a lot more. And he sent me this email uh, this week telling me a story that happened this week in, in his life. And it speaks to the progress that he has made for which he is thankful. And it speaks to the fact that he needed to make some progress. He writes this. While watching America's Funniest Home Videos with Jude, Jude's his six or seven-year-old son, while watching America's Funniest Home Videos with Jude, Jude looked up at me and said, it's so nice to hear you laugh. You don't really do that very much. He wrote parenthetically, insert dagger between shoulder blades. (laughs) On the one hand, glad that God answered his prayer, he would laugh more with his children, On the other hand, lamenting the fact that he lacked delight for six years. Again, delight is this disposition of the heart that is tangibly and practically expressed. But finally, the foundation uh, of parenting, the third subpoint under the foundation of parenting, what's the desired result of our delight? 
What's the desired result? If you say it differently, you might say it like this. What will be the evidence in our children's life that they're delighted in? In a word, the desired result is courage. Courage. The confidence within them that they have what it takes to handle whatever comes in front of them. Look at Colossians 3.21. In this portion of Colossians, uh, uh, Paul is speaking to the different members of the family unit and he is giving every one of them one line to think about when it comes to how to relate in the family. So there are other places where Paul, like Ephesians 6, he draws these out more. But in Colossians 3, he's like, this is the one thing you have to remember. Fathers, again, parents. In the English, we should probably translate this parents. Do not provoke, exasperate, embitter, make resentful your children. One of the fastest ways to provoke and exasperate a child is to parent them without delighting in them, is to disciple them without loving them, is to discipline them without accepting them. Keep going. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, dispirited, broken in spirit, disheartened, lest they lose heart. In 1 Thessalonians 2, not in your worship folder, the Apostle Paul is writing about his previous ministry among the Thessalonians. And he says that in that ministry, his paradigm was the paradigm of parenting. He reminds them, he says, listen, I was gentle with you. I cherished you. I took care of you. I was affectionately desirous of you. You were very dear to me. Sounds like delight. And then he directly says, we encouraged you. We put courage into you. To discourage is to let the release valve of courage out of a child's heart. To encourage is to pour courage and confidence into them. Paul says across these letters, poor parenting will take the courage out of a child, but biblical parenting will put courage into a child. I was uh, watching a video. I get, I, I'm guessing you guys have seen it. It was, went viral. It was several years ago. It was the National Teacher of the Year, and they were giving a speech. And in the speech, this teacher, this educator, was telling parents the most crucial thing they can do at home. Not the only thing, but the most crucial thing, and I absolutely agree. He's saying, if you want your child to succeed in learning, if you want them to be discipled, you got to do this. And the gist of his point was, find anything they're good at. Have them do it over and over. Compliment them and encourage them. Watch them succeed and tell them they're great. He gives this example of this young boy who liked to tighten the screws of the plates that cover electrical outlets and light switches. He said that while at school, his mom would go around the house and loosen the screws. And when the boy got home, he'd race to the door, run through the door, grab the screwdriver. His mom would tell him, it's absolutely crucial that you tighten these screws. If you don't, the house could fall apart. <laughs> and he would go through the house, tightening screws with his mom behind him the entire time, telling him how amazing he is, how glad she is to have him as a boy. She would cheer him on and root for him and tell him, you can do anything. And the educator said, study after study after study has told us that life is really hard. School is really hard. Kids who come to school encouraged, filled with confidence, they learn more and they grow faster than the kids who come discouraged, disheartened, having to perform to be accepted. If you want to raise a godly child, you have to delight in them, disciple them, and discipline them 
in that order. But for a child to be ready for discipleship, they have to be delighted in in tangible ways. They literally have to be encouraged. So finally for this morning, the fuel for biblical parenting. How can we be energized as parents and vow takers? Those of you who are not parents but have taken vows, how can we be energized for this framework? And the answer in short is that we have to believe in and we have to experience the Heavenly Father's parenting of us in order to parent this way. If you think about it, Proverbs 3 and 1 Thessalonians 2, they're calling us to this unconditional delight in our kids. And it sounds great in a sermon, but it's absolutely impossible if we don't receive and rejoice in and rest in and live out of the unconditional delight that we have with God the Father. You've been reading through the Apostle John's works in CBR. One of his favorite descriptions for us is beloved children. And the great news of the Bible, the great news of the gospel is that God, even though we haven't lived lives worthy of his pleasure, God is pleased with us. Because Jesus Christ lived his perfect and pleasing life, died on the cross, and gave us his record. We really are God's beloved sons and daughters. Every world religion besides Christianity teaches us that we have to perform in order for God to love us and in order for God to really actually enjoy us. Only Christianity, only the Bible, only the gospel teaches God already enjoys you, regardless of your performance. And then because of this, there's a confidence that's built in us that enables us to be discipled so that we can actually obey. We can actually live godly lives. Think about our call to worship today from Luke 15. It's the parable of the lost son. It's the parable of the prodigal God. You know the story. The son, of course, rebels. The son shames his father. The son leaves and goes to a distant land, and he blows through his inheritance. And then the son comes to his senses at the very bottom of his existence, and he realizes, well, at least I can go back to my dad's, and at least at my dad's I can be a slave in his house, and as a slave in his house I can work for his provision, and maybe one day I can work for his delight. But what does the parable teach us? The father never stopped delighting in the son. The father never stopped delighting in the son. His eye was always on the horizon, waiting and longing for his beloved son to return. He sees him. He feels compassion for him. He runs to him. He embraces him. He falls on his neck. The the text tells us that over and over and over he kissed him. And you can see the son pushing him off of him, not wanting to accept it. The son goes into the sales pitch of every other world religion. Let me work for provision. Let me maybe even earn your delight again. And in the middle of the sales pitch, the father cuts him off. Clothe my boy. Put the family ring on my boy. Shot his feet. Let's party. My son, not my slave, my son. He was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Where will we find the fuel to graciously and sacrificially delight in our children, especially when they turn two and we're sleep-deprived? Okay? Only by experiencing the gracious and sacrificial delight of God for us. For those of you like me, where can we find the forgiveness we need for not parenting this way? Only in the gospel where Jesus died for our lack 
And because of him, the Heavenly Father parents me this way, showing me how to do it. Where can we find healing for where our parents didn't parent us this way? Only in the gospel where God commits himself to perfectly parent us, regardless of how long it takes us to experience it and understand it. May we today feel the Father fall upon our neck and kiss us with a thousand kisses. And may we today in this experience of forgiveness and healing and transformation, may we find in it the fuel we need to delight and to disciple and to discipline. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done for us. We thank you for your unconditional love to children and babies, even when you didn't have any. We, we thank you for uh, the fact that you never sinned, you never got priorities out of whack, uh, you never misunderstood and misbehaved. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you for your perfect life, your death for us on the cross, and the gift of righteousness that now clothes us in the gospel. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, and I ask for you, as I have all week, to create delight in the hearts of these men and women and to create confidence and courage in our children. God, we pray that this sermon would not just be uh, interesting or maybe even boring, but this sermon would actually work itself out into delight and courage. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.